This is the one with a clockwork castle. The sound of one hand clapping. Dictatorship for inadequate. A mind TARDIS. And one hell of a bird. It's called Heaven Sent. Here we go. Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel's hour. Dalek, Cyber, Zood and Wow! Counting Sonic's rating apps. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whitaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this side see what other choice could there be. But who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, and all in between and beyond, welcome to another fantastic, hopefully, episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Dogpast. That's right. First new Who episode of 2021, we are reviewing N128 Heaven Sent. Whoop, whoop, whoop. And because this, this is far too important an episode for me to review by myself, I've got two co-hosts here tonight, one of whom is in Germany, and her name is... Hello, it's Marie! Yes, it is! And the other one tonight, you know him, you love him, he's why you're tuning in. From Oxford, it's the man himself! <laughs> A very flattered Leon, hello! Hello Leon, hello Marie, hello Podcastland. Hello Drew, hello Marie, hello Podcastland. Hello Drew, hello Leon, hello Podcastland. <laughs> Aren't we polite? <laughs> and, and now we're all caught up. <laughs> and fast friends. <laughs> it's like, previously on Who Back When? <laughs> yeah, actually, that is exactly how much has happened over the last two or three weeks. Literally nothing. <laughs> Which is why we're recording tonight. Get your earballs ready for a supreme treat. Guys, this is Heaven Sent. Who's been looking forward to it? Uh, only everyone. Oh, Surely. Yeah, sweet buttery Moses. This episode has has been lingering in the background. Wowie, am I pleased to be talking about it tonight? Fantastic, me too. We are agreed. <laughs> Shall we therefore jump quickly and efficiently into a B scale? Let's. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. The great screenwriter once said, when you are born, something else accompanies you into existence. A newborn baby cries and grabs at the air, not from the smack of the nurse, not as it gasps for breath, but because it's lost its only companion in the womb. A vast monologue. Once you've popped out of your maternal hard drive, your life unfurls ahead of you like a clockwork countdown prophecy, a programmed puzzle unknowable to its pre-written protagonist. So many lines of code, too many to read, stretching towards infinity, close to unending. And yet... The Twelfth Doctor awakens in a bespoke hell, pursued by a slow-moving tormentor who yield only to a confession. Who brought him to this place? How will he win? And if the hybrid was so blasted legendary, then how come Capaldi made her in the first place? Bloody reckless, if you ask. Like, genuinely, anyone. Perhaps he deserved this hell. What a right hook, though, eh? Miska Urfa! Thou art welcome. Aren't thou just? We got all medieval there because of the castle shtick. Yeah. <laughs> a, clear, a clear inspiration. And then yet another scary hooded figure from Moffat's Nightmares. What a figure, though, eh? What a right hook, eh? What a figure, eh? I know where this is going. <laughs> I'm going to ask for validation Wait, after every statement. <laughs> <laughs> 
you weren't impressed with the hooded figure then, Drew? I'm just saying Doctor Who is replete with hooded figures at this point. Sure. Much like rural America. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Wait, hang on. You had some trivia associated with this. Who played him? He was it. played by the the Veil was played by Jamie Reed Quarrel, whom we've seen already in this series. Uh gonna guess, gonna guess, gonna guess. Was he the Fisher King? He was not. Damn it. But he was a bad guy. Marie, you got one shot at this. Oh no. In the last series. Yeah, in, in this series, series nine. Hmm. <laughs> That's a no. Keeping the silence in. <laughs> oh, no. I can't remember any villains. <laughs> Elucidate us, Drew. It's Colony Sarf. Mm. Oh, oh that's cool. Some, yeah, them are some rad bananas. Yeah, whose face unravels weirdly like a castle's gear levels suddenly reconfiguring. Uh, I see where you're, where you're coming from. Yeah, sure. Anyway, who wants to start us off with a proper question? I have a question and I need a sincere answer. Oh, Marie, you'd better answer this one. (laughs) (laughs) I I may need two sincere answers, in fact. If you were to find yourself in Capaldi's position, you had to punch your way through this this wall of um, Asbantium. Would you punch, this is a two-part question, would you punch a perfect corridor or would you punch a tunnel small enough for the creature not to fit into? <laughs> oh, wow! Oh, Leon, the the veil can stoop. Give the veil some credit. And I think Capaldi can fit into the veil can also fit into. But yeah, no, I would definitely take an, the extra billion years that it takes to square off every corner and make it just yeah. really neat. <laughs> yeah, maybe some crown molding at the top. And like, <laughs> like, why are you doing this? <laughs> That was my biggest beef with this episode, I think, actually. Um, and it really, really, really wound me up. Um, oh, I was too dim to spot it either time. And it's a really good point. Because oh, this no. is only 400 times harder than Diamond. I mean, you've got to be sure it's structurally sound. <laughs> so if it's, it's, okay, hang on. Wait. Yeah, let's talk about that. So it's 400 times harder than Diamond. It is 20 feet thick. I know he spends just over two billion years in there, but is that enough? <laughs> Wouldn't he punch it once, look at his stump and go, yeah, all right, just kill me. Would he ever even put a dent in that wall? It doesn't seem possible, especially as he's clearly not punching it hard enough to actually break his right hand and have to whip out the left and go with that once. (laughs) I don't know, it's a whacking great thwack, the noise of it crunching the first time he hits it. it, Oh my God, it went right through me. Um, And there is later a close-up of him and he's wearing rings as well. So maybe metal on really strong diamond, maybe over two billion years has an impact. At this point, may I suggest the spade? Yes, exactly. Why not leave, instead of writing bird, why wouldn't he just write, (laughs) bring the spade? (laughs) 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 Whatever you do. (laughs) And then when he wakes up, he encounters a spade. He's like, hmm, guess I should probably hang on to this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, someone's left it in the first corridor I enter. This must be quite important. Yeah, that's... That's going to turn two billion years into, what are we going to say, like a hundred thousand years? Yeah, a few short millennia. (laughs) 
Marie, you had a finger raised. Because we talked about this as well. Why wouldn't you use the spade? But he, the idea is that he can't remember anything. Everything happens identically as it has every time until he gets to the point. And then when he does have the revelation with the bird and the story, and then he knows that he needs to break it, he doesn't have the spade with him. And the veil is there and he's trapped in a corridor. So there's no way of getting out. So his only option is to punch it. You tell and I are, are competing to tell you first that the veil is not there when he's slumped against the Asbantium in almost defeat. He's in his mind palace talking to Clara for the full 82 minutes while it lurches steadily towards his sector. Also, he remembers everything as he is in the process of dying. When he writes Bird, he knows everything. So he could literally just yeah. write... He wouldn't even have to write... Like, Okay, yeah, no, you're so right. He should, yes, oh, I'm so upset right now. He should write room 12 spade. That's what he should write, because at that point he knows exactly what's happened, so that the next time he wakes up, he goes, room 12 spade? What do you mean, what, they're numbered? He finds a space, like, all right, cool, putting this under my arm. And then the first time he encounters a room with a number, he'd be like, holy moly, there must be a number 12, I'm bringing this spade there. Yep, wow, we're down to a few hundred years now at most. <laughs> No, wait, no, no, you can't do that because... <laughs> why not, Marie? Why not? I'll tell you why for not. Because he has to go through the entire process. He has to give all his confessions to the veil. Because if you recall, the first time he opens that door, there's just a stone wall behind it. And he says, like, the wall is, like, moved back to, and this is the last one remaining. And so if he gives him the confession about the hybrid, it will be removed and he can be released. But he refuses to give up this last confession and that's why he can't get through and he has to take the long way around. So if he just went straight to room 12 before he'd gone through all the confession dial process, it would just be a stone wall and it would be like a thousand meters thick and he would never get through it. Mm-hmm. I, have, okay, I mean, you mm-hmm. are right. Yeah, I, that, that makes perfect sense. I have another theory as well and that is that maybe he wants the catharsis. Do you think he feels that he needs to go through this as a, a, a cathartic cleansing of like the trauma that he's just undergone? of losing Clara, basically. I'm not sure it's intentional, but I think the way the story is so entwined with the narrative of grief and how someone gets through it, perhaps it just bled in thematically. Because I get that. I I get that you wake up every new day and you think, oh, things have changed until you realise, no, they haven't. And you go right back to the beginning of the process. And it's so stop-start and there's no clear or linear progression to it. So, yeah, I'll give you that. Follow-up question. He's in his confession dial. He, when the confession dial as a concept was introduced, we learned, oh, this is a thing that just appears when you're about to die. Like, this is almost like the last will and testament-ish of a time lord. We may find this out later on, but why is, I mean, has, has it been hacked? Or, like, basically, my question is, confession dial, comma, huh? Well, I mean, he dies thousands, if not billions of times in this episode, so it's not misplaced in that sense. But who, okay, who made this confession dial? Does everyone get one? This may be a next episode kind of question, actually, now that I think about it, I don't know. Well, I feel like the Missy and Doctor talk about it at the beginning of the series as if, yeah, everybody has one. We just don't like to talk about it. We're given it in the maternity unit back on Gallifrey on the continent of wild foreshadowing. And... (laughs) 
I think we mostly put it in a back pocket until something particularly ominous happens or it, or it buzzes us like a pager. And it's like, oh, better get the confession dial out. Yeah, I guess I'm destined to spend two billion years inside a castle. <laughs> I think it's actually over four. Was it four billion years? Whoa. Holy moly. Well, you know what? <laughs> What's two billion years between friends? I mean, after two billion years, <laughs> do, are you even counting? <laughs> yeah. Is this not him making the confession dial? Like, it, this is him giving his confessions to the veil. I did wonder, I don't, like, it's not made clear, but I did wonder whether every time Lord does go through something like this, not the, like, billions of years, but you would go through and give all your confessions out. And then once you've handed over the last confession, then you're free. And then that's somehow sealed and sent back in time. And, like, maybe that's the thing you do before your deathbed. I don't know. Wait, are you saying he made this? He put himself in this prison? Well, no, no. Not that he put himself there, but this is like, this is how they've got all the confessions from him is that he's giving them out one by one to the veil. Uh, ah, okay. It's, yeah, this is what the veil lives for is to get these confessions from him. So I the think this is being live for anything. The veil is just well, gearing. Yeah. But this, someone like, this else is someone else outside the confession dial is doing all the listening. Yeah, exactly. I would say this is one that's been tampered with, obviously, but is there a concept of this? Like, maybe it's different for every person, but at some stage you go through and give your confession because otherwise, how does the confession dial exist? And couldn't you just hack his confession dial and get this from him in another way? And also, wouldn't he be giving the same confession on every turn? So has he been giving the same confessions for the past, you know, four, four billion years? Just on an end Absolutely, of he has. So someone heard his confession and then went, yeah, all right, we're done here. <laughs> we're done here. Someone just put it, leave him on autopilot. And then he does his thing. Or is the confession, the whole, the hybrid is possibly capitalized me? Oh, I see what you slash Stephen Moffat did there. <laughs> so could it be that it actually took him four billion years and having to get out of the confession dial to actually deliver the confession that he was intended to? Well, yeah, that's the, that's the final one that they're after. And he, ne- and he refuses to give up. So that yeah. like that's the purpose of that. See, I'm just being an idiot. <laughs> to me, it's like, holy moly, I, I, th- I feel like I just Sherlock this thing. <laughs> it turns out <laughs> it was there all along. I'm just being an idiot. I'm so sorry. I don't, I don't know if it was, and I don't know if you are an idiot. I mean, the jury's still out 340 episodes in. <laughs> Keep stringing us along. We're desperate to know. Anyway, the point is... He spends four and a half billion years very pointedly not giving the confession that will let him out that the second he's out, he then readily gives. Right, yeah. Okay, perfect. Poetic justice, tragic irony, yada, yada, yada. What? <laughs> no, just say it first up and you're free. <laughs> but I think he wants this. I think he wants this. Oh, I this. see, I see. Because punching his way through the hardest substance in the universe is... Very much like dealing with the death of your best friend. How many people have punched a wall out of frustration? Just me? Uh, All right, fine, just me. Andy from the office. I feel like a lot of people have done that. (laughs) Yeah, okay, that's true. (laughs) For the record, I didn't do it quite like Andy from the office, but I I feel like a lot of people do that, and that's that's also stereotypical. It's almost a caricature of dealing with some sort of trauma. I do it on a semi-annual basis. There you go. Yeah, anyway, I maintain, I, I, oh, whatever. Uh, that's one man's opinion. One man who has, I think, already <laughs> 15 minutes into this episode been proven is a complete idiot, so I apologize. <laughs> I have a follow-up question, a separate follow-up question, that will take us out of this mire of my stupidity and back into the castle. It seems like you're leading us deeper and deeper into your impenetrable maze of questions. <laughs> 
Okay, fine. Someone else take a question. No, no, I'm saying go ahead. I'm saying go ahead. I'm doing it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's in the hole with all the arrows pointing to it? Oh, well, that is the octagonal stone that at some point a previous incarnation of the Doctor has taken out of that, acting differently to the billions we see following him, written the thing on and buried it in the garden, which hasn't reset, question mark? Oh, I didn't realise that was a stone under there. Oh, that makes... Yeah, you're right. What a... That's a, that's a stupid way of leaving a clue. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty <laughs> good sand in the transporter room. So, so he has a pen, he draws arrows with the pen, those arrows don't reset. Why not just write room 12? I'll tell you why, because that is chalk from his mind palace. That is very difficult to pull out through your ear canal. There is only a limited amount of it. Eight arrows is as much as you can manage without giving yourself brain damage. Yeah, okay, so... I am in room 12, or I am in 12, or whatever. No, no, this is dumb. This is really dumb. (laughs) (laughs) I think you might have just, oh, just pulled a massive hole in it for me, because my logic for why he couldn't write spade instead of bird when he was an old man was because like things kind of have to go the same way because if he changes one thing then he doesn't know maybe he won't get to the right conclusion and maybe you'll have just screwed him over and he'll just die in here so he knows that the system works keep it going but you're absolutely right if he was the one who planted the clue then that means that an earlier version of him didn't follow that pattern so why can't he change it again in the future but also isn't it a really weird thing to write I am in 12 yeah, exactly. I think I sort of assumed when I first read it that, like, well, I don't know if we were supposed to be misled to think, oh, like, oh my God, maybe Clara is alive and she's in room 12, or like, is the TARDIS speaking to him? Is it like a psychic link or something? Like, there's something else there, but it's not. There's nothing. Like, room 12 is just the outside world. Yeah, yeah, it is. So I suppose well, technically we- both Clara and the TARDIS are in room 12. And also <laughs> technically <laughs> the Doctor is. No, just everything's in room 12 except for the Doctor. He's the only thing that's not because he's in the confession dial. Hmm. Okay, wait. So <laughs> I'm going to defend this episode. So maybe the I is a Doctor who has a certain insight. The eye is the doctor who knows enough to write bird, but isn't clever enough to write spade and 12. And when he says, I am in room 12, technically when you've gone through, when you've you've gone through the wall, you're in room 12, you step through this, the portal, whatever, and you're on Gallifrey, the exit, you are there and you have all that insight. It's like insight, identity awaits in room 12. A doctor that has escaped the confession dial has then somehow got back into the confession dial to plant the original clue. No, but he doesn't get reset. He is still he's still bird doctor you know when he's on Gallifrey he's bird no, doctor he's not like newborn doctor he's he's bird doctor he's like yeah scribbling bird in the, in in the ashes of my previous self doctor he's that dude also gross no no, no because that's <laughs> the, the doctor that scribbles bird is the one that's been attacked by the veil and is on his way out and has crawled for a day and a half to get, get through so he hasn't yeah. gone through all that but he's gone through everything else and punched through the last bit of a wall yeah but I mean he's bird doctor in the sense that he knows about the story and the bird yeah. and everything. Like he, yeah. he's punchline doctor. He's the doctor who knows how the story ends. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying ca- to. I'm calling. I'm calling bird shit on this theory. Fair enough. This, this is a nugatory point. We couldn't do better. <laughs> I think I'd put it away for being something psychic. 
Because the first time he goes to the door and it's a and he's a wooden door and he's talking to it and he says if I like will it hard enough then you will open basically. Oh, I and did like that moment. Can I just say all yes. about when I was young and telepathic and doors won't open if you just because they're crossed. People are always knocking, but never for them. <laughs> I agree. I think that's a lovely scene. Yeah, as a wannabe writer, yeah. oh well, gel saw things Chibnall. <laughs> <laughs> Can I read out um, one note that I made? Oh, please do. I wrote, this is a heck of a cold open, isn't it? While we're still smarting from Revolution of the Daleks, this is writing that Chris Chibnall just can't manage. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm not going to say any more about Chibnall. I'm not going to continue in this vein. It just struck me at that moment. That is a writing peak that I yeah. don't think we've seen for a while. I agree. Oh, question about the opening. Uh-huh. Capaldi, he has his little soliloquy about when you're born, something comes with you, yada, 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 yada. When he... Yeah, you will run, it will walk, you will rest, it will not. Exactly. It's, it's incredibly powerful. When the first monitor comes on, and right before we see the veil for the first time, on the wall are those words. Oh, wow. Yeah. In fact, I paused it. I watched this right before we pressed record. I paused it, rewound, went to that point, because you can't quite make it out. And then I walked up to my TV and took a (laughs) close-up photo of Capaldi reading those words on the wall. Uh, I hadn't realized that. Yeah. When you come into this world, something else is also born, and so on and so forth. Why? Because Stephen Moffat loves his own writing just a little bit too much. He has to sour it for me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, so it's not... <laughs> Um, is this not then? It's not the doctor having this wonderful soliloquy. It's him reading something, or oh, I don't think so. Is it that the, the compact is like is attuned to his? Maybe there is a psychic link, and maybe it's attuned to his I like thoughts that. and ideas. And, and well, because he, he talks about the monster being like the monster from his nightmares, basically. And the like the first time he confronts it, it says, "Oh wow, I am afraid of death." Like this is his deepest fears. So maybe. I think there is a psychic link with him and this entire world. I think that's oh, a perfect explanation. Is. Yeah. There absolutely is. But at the same time, this is Stephen Moffat going, what I want is for a podcast to discover oh, this oh, five, oh. no, six <laughs> years down the line. And for someone to realise that I put this screen into the episode as an Easter egg and for them to wax lyrical about, oh, that is so justified. Stephen Moffat, you can do anything you like. No, you can't. For fuck's sake, rein in your giant ego. But what? <laughs> no, it, I, I disagree. <laughs> I think it's completely fine. What I don't understand is why Capaldi, when he reads those words, why does he not go, hey, wait, I said those words. <laughs> why doesn't he go, oh, clearly, telepathic link. Oh, it, this is all, yeah. like, this is happening in my head. Or something, something is not right about this castle. This is not a regular castle. Either that, or I didn't realise I'm presenting, have I got news for you tonight? And suddenly I've woken up from a trance and there's a teleprompter in front of me. <laughs> Stone Age teleprompter. <laughs> but the ca- like, there's clearly something not right with the castle yeah. in that it, it is a Harry Potter castle and all the floors move around and yeah. all the, you know, <laughs> different- <laughs> 
Like, we know it's not a regular castle. Maybe the writing is there and then it disappears and he maybe ne- never reads it himself. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Oh, I did love the castle. Don't get me wrong. I was talking mm. at the beginning of the series about how I loved um, the opening two-parter because that was like them storming a castle. And now here is Capaldi, lord of his own manor. And it moves and it's in the middle of a sea. It's it's so atmospheric. It's wonderful. Mm. It is gorgeous. It's a it's really, really good-looking episode. Oh. Oh my goodness, isn't it just? And this is an episode that justifies its 10 extra minutes. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> to say nothing of the New Year's. <laughs> Drew, this is why I don't get how you're so hard on Moffat. It's like we've just spent ages talking about how rubbish Jimmers is. Moffat's good. <laughs> get, let, let him be proud of his writing. It's nice. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It is, but I don't need to see the stains on the wall to know that he's wanking over himself. I, I can just take that for granted. I don't need to have him shine a UV light on it <laughs> and, and just show me, look how good I am. No, I'll read it from your script myself. <laughs> so, no, no, I love this episode. It's getting a really super high mark. That's why I'm just taking what little opportunity I have to <laughs> just give him a little constructive criticism. Okay, okay. <laughs> completely fair. And also, spoiler alert, I'm also giving this a fantastic high score. Great. Marie? I mean, yeah, obviously me too. Yeah, same page card. <laughs> Drew, you were my only question mark. I was like, it could go either way. He might come in and just rip this to shreds. And if that's the case, I'm going to put my fingers in my ears and just not listen to a word he says. <laughs> yeah. I love this episode. It's so- oh, that's not how you learn. <laughs> <laughs> This is why we call you Loose Cannon Drew behind your back, Drew. Oh, really? I quite like that. That's a cool name, right? Yes. Okay, henceforth, that is your genuine nickname. I have another... Do you have any more follow-up? Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, I do have another question, and... I found a piece of trivia that is potentially associated, oh, sorry, that is associated with this, but I don't know how legitimate it is. My question was going to be, there is a painting of Clara in one of the rooms, in like the bedroom where Capaldi might be allowed to sleep for, you know, 81 minutes or whatever it is. But so there is a bedroom. In that room, there is a painting of Clara and the painting is really cracked. It's clearly an old painting. Very old, he says. But the Very, very old. But the painting is not 7,000 thousand years old like if it were seven thousand years old it would probably be in a lot worse shape than that and wouldn't it reset itself anyway why i mean the flowers reset themselves so why why doesn't the painting remain forever you know i mean the castle doesn't age around him just because i think because it, i think it all goes back to this like psychic connection that he has so maybe things that he's not attached to get reset and he's not you know he doesn't have any power over them but because it's Clara like someone's painted that someone's put that there which is not you know nobody's painted a a portrait of Clara and put it there therefore it has to be a thing that he's kind of willed into existence and therefore Uh, he has a connection with it and therefore it doesn't age in the same way so it's a like it's not reset every time it is aging but at a slower rate I have just Um, found a piece of uh, trivia that is slightly more uh, (laughs) elaborate than the one that I found before this one comes from Todd's wikia 
From Doctor Who magazine, issue 495, Moffat confirmed that the portrait of Clara was painted by the Doctor himself. And here, in oh, fact, wow. it also says he also implied that several other clues, specifically the I am in 12 paving slab, I didn't realize it was a paving slab, were left by previous copies of the Doctor. Right. Yeah. But the whole thing about shouldn't it reset? Shouldn't the painting just disappear completely? Exactly. Valid. No. Imagine that this cycle a- otherwise, like the Doctor's painting for 80 one minutes then like packing up everything putting it under his arm and running to the opposite side of the castle and continuing to paint he gets to the other side of the castle and and they dried and he has to break out the turps and then he spills oh and oh, no. he's barely started and he has to run back to that where he was before damn it and i'm late for lunch who cooks in this place anyway and then oh no i gotta run you know what annoys me is mm-hmm. that in four and a half billion years he never once thought you know what? I had other companions who I've also mourned. Maybe a portrait of Donna Noble would look nice in room nine or room 10, I should say. Yeah, I, f- I feel like the confession dial would just automatically reset that. <laughs> like, yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> you can have Sarah Jane Smith and you can have Clara and that's it. It's like, well, I already started painting Clara one. I'm out of canvases. <laughs> what about River? Why wouldn't you paint River? Yeah, yeah, or exactly. River, or He's like his wife. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, you're right. What is this? He's in his bed. Who else would be in there with him? Oh, I mean, it's I mean, the equivalent of going back to your <laughs> earlier point about it being this is like his way of working through the grief and maybe this is like he slightly wants to go the long way around to make up for the fact that he couldn't save her in real life and blah 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 so obviously she's the one who's like most on his mind and also he hasn't like he literally has been there for four billion years but his memory is of like four days or something he doesn't have right at the end of every cycle that he puts it together and all of the memories come flooding back and kind of haunt him but while he's painting he's just like oh no I left Clara yesterday I'm still really sad about Clara he doesn't it's not like he's got time to mull over everything else yeah Yeah. true can I ask why do the memories come back at that point every time that exact time that exact then Marie has a hand raised Um, because uh, my theory is that so this whole system is designed to get this confession out of him. There's the one that he's given up all his like like small confessions that nobody cares about. Oh, I'm afraid of dying. Okay, aren't we all? That's fine. His peccadilloes, um, his ordinal sins. Exactly. <laughs> this is the one that we're desperate for, and he refuses to give up. So at the point where like this is the last straw, you've hit a however many like feet thick diamond wall, the monster's coming at you, there's nowhere to escape, it's your last chance of freedom. That's the point where all the memories come flooding in. So he has this realization that I can get through this wall if only I like game the system. And then all the memories of how horrible it was, how painful it is, how many times you've done it before, how long it takes you to crawl on your deathbed up like however many flights of castle stairs there are like it's all designed to put him off so that at some point he will just go sod it i'll take the easy way out you can have my confession my confession is that missy and i concocted the whole plan to kill danny pink i told her to run him over so that i could have clara all to myself and then clara (laughs) walks around the corner and claps well done doctor (laughs) yeah slow clapping clara All along, I knew it. (laughs) I want to see that. I want to see that alternative conclusion to this.
So is it that he just wants to take himself out of the equation for four billion years? Because once he has had, you're absolutely right, Marie. Like the, the, for him, the experience, relatively speaking, is just let's say uh, whatever, like let's say three or four days long. That's it. It's not four billion years. So is it that he just wants to take himself out of the equation like that? Couldn't he just write "Get spade, don't confess," <laughs> and then <laughs> you know, it, it, do it in shorthand, like draw a spade. In fact. Yeah, do it in pictograms. Draw a spade, write the number 12, <laughs> and then like just say, mum's the word, or whatever, you know, and then then that's it. He can get bird, out of there. Bird, and, bird. bird is the word. He that's can get out word. of there in, in, let's say, 200 years, and we've gone from <laughs> 4 billion to 200 years now. He can get out of there in two, uh, 200 years. He won't have confessed, and he won't have left, you know, the universe in the lurch for 4 billion years. Well, he hasn't. He's a time traveler. He can jump back and fix everything. But yeah, I think I think the the idea that all the rooms reset is a really nice one. And then as soon as you throw in that he's left previous clues, it does just all unravel and it's not quite as clever as it wants to be. My question about that was going to be, why doesn't the diamond reset? Like, oh! Why isn't he every day punching the same bit of diamond and never making any progress? Like, how is that exempt? You're so right. Dag Nabbit? Yeah, you're yeah. 100% right. Why wouldn't that reset? But also, I'm super. I'm seriously still super pissed off about the arrows pointing at nothing. Why draw yeah. arrows? Yeah, it's, it, uh, the thing I'm pointing at is not a clue. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, you guys, I found this Radio Times article that's entitled Stephen Moffat has filled in the plot holes from Doctor Who Heaven Sense. There is a reason the diamond wall didn't reset, but who painted the picture of Clara, it says. So give me Whoa. a few seconds. Oh. And I might be able to On give tenders. you some... Yeah, yeah. All will okay. be revealed. It's not a room in the castle. It's the outer wall of the confession dial, he explains. Mm, hang on, the yeah. castle is surrounded by sea, isn't it? Yeah, wait, does that make sense? I feel like that doesn't make sense. Yeah, because I think he very carefully says the every room resets because we were saying the same about all the skulls in the water. Why would there be these thousands of skulls there? They should all reset, but they're because they're not in a room. But yeah, it doesn't uh, explain the pain. Yeah, and while we're on the subject of the skulls, where do the rest of the skeletons go? Yeah, Why aren't there two hundred other sets of Time Lord bones just clogging up everything? <laughs> no, that's one of my uh, one of my questions. That was going to be another potential introductory question. Why does everything? burn except for the skull so you plug in your head into this thing by the way you don't plug in your cranium he doesn't shove them into his head until he hits bone he puts them on his like temples or whatever and then (laughs) he electrocutes himself his entire body from the chin down (laughs) gets completely freaking incinerated like turned to ash but his cranium is perfectly intact and now those plugs are stuck in bone what the what Mm. Okay, <laughs> I have no explanation of that, but I have found Moffat's explanation for the missing paving slab. Oh, here we go. Okay, so the first time around the castle, he says, the doctor is there for many years because there is no clue leading him to room 12. He is ancient by the time he understands that room 12 is important. After a few thousand years of this, he realizes he's going too slowly 
he needs to get the next version of himself into room 12 faster and then he starts leaving the clues that's Ooh. what he says and he conceptualizes it as the doctors aren't doing random different things they start off in baggy loops and the loops gradually get tighter and tighter and tighter and more predictive and uh, predestinating that's what that's how he's thinking of it and i guess the the grave is not in a room the paving slab is not in a room. Maybe those places don't reset. But then but we the do see the does, blood steering. But the grave does reset. No, you're right. I mean, the paving yeah. slab doesn't. It does. Yeah, it does. Oh, yeah. well done, Leon. The Come back changed. to that. <laughs> maybe, maybe things that he changed in his in the first iteration. No, that doesn't even work because then nah. the, the transport didn't work either. Do you think like two billion know. years down the line, he realized those arrows made no sense, but he was too embarrassed about it? Gotta keep writing them on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right, fine. Scribbling arrows. <laughs> I keep meaning to get around to actually just like wiping the arrows off the ground because they mean nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's just wasting time. I'm d- every time I'm just looking at them going, He had time to paint a portrait in great detail. Yeah. Could he not have written the entire story on that canvas? That canvas clearly is exempt from the rules. Just write <gasps> everything. Drone it, 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 it on the back and then yeah. left a little in like Clara's eye that was like... Yeah, Check or, I mean, here's another idea. Just plain write it on the canvas. <laughs> Don't leave clues, because clues might be overlooked. Just write, okay, dude, listen up. <laughs> You've got 81 minutes to go and get a spade. <laughs> Find room 12. <laughs> Maybe, have you tried hitting the veil over the head with the spade? <laughs> <laughs> P.S. In case you haven't figured it out, this is the previous version of you. All those skulls, they were also you. Exactly, yes. <laughs> You've been here four billion years. You'd, you're going to die in a day and a half, you know? <laughs> oh. Also, who cooks your lunch? <laughs> Why are you eating yeah. it? Why do you trust <laughs> this food that shows up magically? I don't eat food I find in random castles. I wouldn't trust it. If you were starving and there was nothing else to eat and it was a lovely hot piping tasty soup, you would. About anyway, um, where does he get the paints from as well? There's where like does he this, get the paints like from? Sparse... <laughs> yeah, I'm just just random canvas here. I'll just do that. Um, okay, while we're on this kind of train of thought, I wasn't. I was going to try and not say negative things because I do really like this episode. But I had a, another question. So we're trapped in a loop because we've given all our confessions to the veil, and then we do the thing and we die and we come back and we restart ourselves. But the doctor has created the loop. Like if he if he doesn't get to the transporter in time to give it the energy, then young doctor wouldn't come back again. Yeah. 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 So the first iteration. The doctor is in a corner and the veil is coming at him. And he, for some reason, doesn't say, oh, I'm afraid of dying. There's no confession. Does he just die straight away? Like, what What was the plan if he'd have just died in there? Yeah, true. Or what if he hadn't figured out how to prestige himself? Like, what, exactly. What? Like, they would have never got the confession out of him. It just seems like a silly system if this is designed to get information out of someone. Don't just tell, like, just kill them before you've explained you can stay alive by giving giving confessions because what if he hadn't have worked it out in time yeah and to link this back to your previous question of do all time lords have confession dials 
I mean, how does this square with this is why we like to die among our own kind? What, because they're massive sadists and they'll lock you in a <laughs> dial and you might die in there and you might never see any of them again. Well, good, I suppose, because they're massive sadists. <laughs> There's a loop for you. Yeah. Uh, I like that line, by the way. We, we like to die among our own kind. They know not to bury us early. Mm. That's is so grim and dark. Yeah. That also reminds me of how the Time Lord's xenophobia slash racism has a weird sort of justification at this point. They won't let any other races onto Gallifrey because they are scared of a hybrid. Being, oh, yeah. Being brought from the intermixing of the races. Oh, that's and, uh, Not the nice. races, the species. The species, because next week we will have an interracial regeneration, of course. An interracial regeneration? Yeah. A white Time Lord gets killed and a black woman Time Lord regenerates in his place. Oh, okay, cool. All right, yeah, I, 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 I don't remember. I, I, you may very well be right. I remember nothing <laughs> about the the next one, and I also didn't even I didn't even stick around long enough to to see if there was a next time on Doctor Who. Like, I want to know nothing about it. I want to come in cold, and I I want to go from zero to boner in like two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot wait. It's gonna be crazy good. <laughs> that was a, a super duper solid what if. What if he hadn't what if he had died before blah blah blah? What if he what if he had <laughs> jumped out the window but you know hit the wall on the way down? <laughs> what if whatever? You know, what if literally anything? What if he doesn't change his his jacket? By the way, I need that jacket. And he catches a pneumonia and he, he dies before oh. he has a time to to prestige himself. Like th- there are so many what ifs there here's another what if uh, beyond uh, beyond the diamond wall what if the kid had just not gone and found someone important what if that what if he goes like hey kid go and find someone important and tell them that i'm back and the kid just to himself goes it's this weird old dude like i don't know what you're talking yeah. no it's like yeah, weird yeah. cryptic numic gibberish yeah uh yeah, also, fine like kids that Kids that age, your mom is important, or your mama is important. It's not like he's not going to go and get and find like the king of Gallifrey to tell, is he? Now what happens? <laughs> yeah, right. what happens is this kid just runs off home, and for the next four billion years, Capaldi's just stood there, and every now and again, a kid comes along and he says exactly the same thing to the kid. The kid does the exact same thing. He's like, "Okay, I've been through this before. I can do it again." He's there, kid the- after kid after kid after kid after kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's there wishing he were back in his confession dial just so he can reset. <laughs> yeah. And eventually, eventually what happens is all the kids on Gallifrey have this weird half-remembered legend about the hybrid in their brain. Gallifrey's flung back in time at the end of the universe, resets itself somehow. That's where the prophecy comes from because Boom. everybody's heard about it from the Doctor in Universe 1. <laughs> He's still there, by the way. But he can <laughs> I mean Universe 2, of course, after Big Bang 2. Sorry. Oh, of course, of course. Okay, so I've got a question. Oh. Was anyone else annoyed slightly by the Doctor only being able to react in one way in this loop that's been set up for him? He comes out of the transporter. He says the exact same monologue after 7,000 years because... Well, I mean, nothing's even set for him at that point, but he's clearly been rehearsing it while he's being zapped up to a light year through space. And then after that, 
he's just an automaton, essentially. Yeah. Well, does that not great with anyone else? Especially the fact that he is just three D printed. I, he's a three D printed automaton. I remember thinking the first time that I saw this years and years ago. When was this? 2015? 20, 20, 2015. 28th of November, twenty fifteen. Uh, bingo bongo. I remember at the time thinking, oh no, hence forth we never actually see the doctor we only see a facsimile but this is not the first time that the doctor has beamed somewhere and every single time that you have any sci-fi property where they do beam places you know that you are no longer seeing the same person i feel like everyone's 3d printed in the future there is no mm-hmm. such thing as individuality like the, the, no one is real everyone is a facsimile of themselves fine with it okay so that's the first part but what about the automaton part because that's the part that actually grated much more with me. I was just throwing the other part into the mix. But his personality doesn't change, his intellect doesn't change, and the circumstances theoretically don't change, except clearly they do, because there are fucking stupid arrows on the floor and someone's painted a portrait and and someone keeps like burying a paving slab it's vandalism like the circumstances theoretically should be identical every single time so you know jeff goldblum in jurassic park what's his name dr malcolm whatever or dr something malcolm whatever that dude when he's doing Mm -hmm. the like oh chaos theory oh you have a little drop of water on your hand and this is how i'm gonna try to get into your pants and like oh i'm gonna do the same thing again is it gonna drop the same way down no it doesn't because it's slightly different because circumstances have changed because there's been a drop there before. Here, there's never been a drop there before. It is a perfectly pristine hand every single time. And Dr. Malcolm, if that's even his name, Jeff Goldblum, is possibly going to get into her pants every single time. Same way. <laughs> it just it just bothers me that you used the word intellect. And the word intellect here is entirely redundant. It's just the doctor logically responds to stimuli. And that's it. There is no individuality there. He's, he brings his experience to bear in the situation, sure. But he just goes from logic gate A to result B to result C and so on. And there's that nothing ever changes, just seems to betoken that there isn't really anything in this inside of this construct Wait, don't, of don't, a being, don't, of whatever. Don't you guys also think that even though, yes, he is acting as an automaton, as in, like, he is acting to stimuli, it is in fact his intellect that is being stimulated. I mean, he's basically solving a really difficult, very complex puzzle, but he's doing it over and over and over again. It, it's the puzzle that never changes, but it's always equally as impressive. I think you're right, Drew. I think it is slightly disappointing because, like, no, it is like it's a it's a very complex, interesting puzzle that he does solve in a very like particular way. But the yeah, the addition of the stimuli, like the painting, like the clues, blah blah blah, gives him like I guess we've only ever seen him from that point forwards. So we don't see the first time that he sees the painting, the first that he makes a painting, blah blah blah. I don't know. There's a lot that we're missing, but yeah. From that point always, just to go through the same over and over. It's not the doctor that we see quite often. Like he's racking his brains for a solution right till the last second, and he comes up with something spontaneous, and it feels like given like he could have come up with you know a dozen different solutions to the same problem. Also, at some point, the stimulus does change because at some point there's a dent in the diamond as well. At the, like the point that you get to the diamond, you don't need to write bird anymore. Yeah, at, at some point, the sea is entirely filled with skulls and they start to loom over the castle <laughs> and exactly. fall in on it. The castle starts toppling over. <laughs> 
<laughs> like because it creates these areas where things aren't reset, then there there are changes to be made. So yeah, he doesn't have to write bird every time because he already like there are enough other clues there that like he can once put he that gets together. There. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. write speed. Why doesn't he change and why you know change tack and do something new? Yeah. Yeah. Y- yes. I- a-, a billion percent agree. <laughs> yeah, I think we both rejected our form positions, and then we just agree with you. <laughs> You know what? Yeah, yeah. At the very least, hold on to the skull and use it like grapple it with your with three fingers like a bowling ball and use that to hammer the diamond wall. Like, oh, I was really yeah. upset by that. Really upset. Love this episode. Don't care. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, can I just say, I am still a bit disturbed that the doctor is a subroutine for four plus billion years, that despite all his rage, he is still just a rat in a cage. I see your point. I think that's a very valid criticism. Still really yeah. impressive, though. How, how do you guys feel about? the mind TARDIS. Isn't that super impressive? Love it. So nice. No, don't get me wrong. I freaking love this episode. When the Doctor is talking in the mind TARDIS to Clara about you're the only irreplaceable person in the torture chamber when you're being tortured. Like, Moffat has... A oh. bomb note for every situation. I am. Uh, I do. I really miss Moffat. Oh, don't you? Oh yeah, absolutely. After an episode like this, certainly. But we'll get to Doctor Mysteria. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. But no, it was so beautiful. The like the way the lights in the TARDIS came on whenever. Like yes. the doc was unconscious and then that would be the first clue that he was, you know, he wasn't dead. He was coming back to life and it was, oh, it was so beautiful. But yeah, also right at the beginning, I think you were saying about he did have time to run back because it was 82 minutes away because he spent the whole time in the in the mind TARDIS talking with Clara. But I think time doesn't pass in the same way in the mind palace. Like he was, as he was plummeting to the water, there was a very long conversation so I still maintain that he didn't have time to do anything else while he, even while he was having his conversation with Clara. But yeah, Clara was so creepy, um, just with her back to the to the camera the whole time, just looking at the chalkboard. I did not expect that to actually be Clara at all. No, I thought neither. they had gotten like an intern in and slapped a wig on her. <laughs> Yeah. But I also really liked the writing on the chalkboard because it kind of drew back to, was it, oh, was yes. it last, last uh, Christmas? Yes. Yes. The, oh, yes. Excellent. Uh, they were communicating. Yeah. And also listen. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, seeing Clara from behind reminds me of a Simpsons episode, El Misterioso Viaje de Homer, where he... <laughs> He is tripping and Johnny Cash's jackal spirit guide or something, coyote spirit guide. And he's running around Marge and you only see the back of her head all the way around. It's, it's, it lives with you for life, that, that image. So that's all I see when I see Clara from <laughs> That is so much better than the Blair Witch reference I was going to make. <laughs> Oh, can I just say on the on the subject of the mind TARDIS, near the end where Capaldi is bottoming out and he's saying, why can't I just lose this once? Why do I have to fight? I'm, I feel so lonely. And there's a shot that shows the entire TARDIS set. It makes it seem almost impossibly large. You see all of it. it we're so used to seeing just a bit or someone at the console or a bookcase. And here you see the whole panorama. And it is beautiful. It's so lovely that's what i miss as much as anything oh what just the tardis just the tardis interior yeah instead of you know a 
exploded beehive. Yep. Yeah. This topic may be revisited in an upcoming audiobook. (laughs) 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 Yeah, the new TARDIS is utter shite. And the TARDIS right now, it is exquisite. Okay, what else did we like? What else did someone like about this supposedly brilliant episode? The visuals all the way through were really, really beautiful. I particularly liked the scene where he was digging out the grave and the sun was going down and it was this gorgeous, like, orange glow everywhere. It just looked oh, really yeah. eerie. And the mist and everything. Yeah, and then he's looking up into the sky and the and the stars are super bright and he can't quite place what's wrong. And yeah, that was a really nice scene. Yeah, yeah and he mentions it a long time before it's revealed why yeah. as well he says it's not right <laughs> and you're like what's not right there was one particularly bright one i was like i bet that's the tardis <laughs> <laughs> yeah also i would like to add that this is a countdown set mostly in corridors and <laughs> it's so enjoyable and so it's very these corridors are, are used to perfection aren't they i oh, know yeah, the veil comically quickly gets from the opposite side of the castle to just around the corner from the doctor right at the beginning yeah that's true <laughs> But then after that, just the because it comes so close to him in that that first instance, like like the terror, the fear factor is it just remains. It, it doesn't dissipate. I really did enjoy it. Mm. It's really quite scary at times. And the music, the friggin' music. Yeah, true. Also, yeah. Yeah, beautiful. And the sound editing and everything. like The the sound, the the almost ticking sound of uh, the veil taking every step. Like, it's the slowest moving stopwatch ever. (laughs) Or, you know, pocket watch (laughs) ever. It's, it's... Everything is so atmospheric. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's all like the music as well. It's this really steady, constant beat, and it's so beautiful and so interesting. But on the backdrop, it's always this slow thing coming forever at you. It's beautiful. Yeah. I think quite when we talk about Doctor Who and we're like, oh, the production values are off the scale today. And actually, no, this is the one where like this could have been a feature film. This is so beautiful and so well shot in every every aspect. It doesn't like it almost doesn't feel like a Doctor Who episode yeah agreed <laughs> yeah it transcends <laughs> it and and murray gold in the bbc concert orchestra they deserve particular praise i it was so stately and so classical i was reminded of the uh second movement of beethoven seventh yeah. which is also known as the uh, of course, Doug of course. stanhope from screen wipe music oh <laughs> <laughs> Okay, here's another answer to the question, what else do we like about this? Capaldi. This is... He basically doesn't act with anyone in this. Fine, he talks to some kid at the end, and a bunch of gears in a hood pursuing him throughout this episode. And we do get to see Clara for like a hot minute, but... Why did we not say this this episode is the one with gears in the hood? Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) But this is the Capaldi show. He is delivering a solo performance. He is acting against, like opposite himself, both narratively and metaphysically. He is acting against himself. (laughs) He's doing so incredibly well. 
He's conveying, okay, maybe not joy ever in this episode, but there is still a fairly broad spectrum of just utter, horrifically tragic sadness on one end of the scale and and on the other end, maybe anger and pride. There, There is just so much to his performance that leaves you breathless. What yeah, a, a an weird, incredible actor. A weird sort of wry relish that even though this is the most unimaginably bad thing, he's still going to challenge it with everything he's got. Yeah. Fuck you, fate. Sooner or later, I'll be able to tell the end of this fairy tale while I'm <laughs> literally punching a wall in frustration. What a performance. Did he get oh, any awards for this? That is, no, we, we discussed that he didn't even win a Scottish BAFTA for Oh, this you're series. right. Yeah, you're right. But that is why he rounds off the Asbantium at the top, because he realizes he's pretty much through the wall. He's only halfway through the story. So he's got to (laughs) punch the rest of it so that he can get a few more lines in, finally get to the end, just as the final crack splinters through the rest. He's like, oh, yeah, that was good timing. Oh dear. But yeah, I um, I totally agree with everything you've just said, Leon. I think, it, yeah, it absolutely showcases him as an actor. And as much as we've, like, I've been defending in particular Jodie Whittaker, and I think she's a brilliant actress, and I do like her as a doctor, to see this come directly after we've just seen the New Year special, yeah. I cannot imagine her, t- like, having an entire hour to herself and captivating me in that same way. And actually, nor can I imagine any of the other previous doctors. I think it, like it had to be Capaldi. I think he's got such a strong presence. I'd really struggle with anyone else doing that, I think. Yeah. I'm curious about the the sixth doctor and, and also the seventh doctor, because both of them, I think, are, are meant to have a sixth doctor in particular is meant to have a, a certain darkness to him, which Capaldi certainly does inhabit as well. And, and you're right. Like Matt, Imagine Matt Smith in this. Or... Maybe yeah. Tennant. Tennant could get really angry and passionate at times, but like, imagine Matt Smith in this. You wouldn't well, th- be there able is to a take really it close as seriously. Parallel. There is a close parallel to this because oh. Matt Smith alone in a tiny world with a pretty much unseen foe saying, oh, this is new. I'm scared. That's exactly what happened in Hyde. Same writer. Or maybe Moffat didn't write Hyde, but oh. everything else was the same. Matt Smith had to do that. He had to You're right, only a couple a- of minutes certainly but he did it yeah that's a yeah i like that that's a really good comparison I, i'd forgotten about that actually which drew have you just pulled another hole in this episode because wasn't that supposed to be his confession that i've never i've never said this out loud before that i'm scared of death <laughs> and now you've just reminded us of the time that he did mm, maybe oh. <laughs> it's fine moffat doesn't watch the other guys episodes they're not as good <laughs> There's another one as well, in addition to Hyde. What's the one where he goes into a doll's house? Night terrors. Night terrors. Isn't that kind of similar as well in, in terms of like you're in a weird, spooky house and there's something slow moving following you around. Or there's something creepy certainly following you around. Yeah, but he had a companion in that one. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. He has companions in Hyde, doesn't he? Yeah, but he, he is alone on the shrinking planet with this weird skull creature again. I think I think what I meant though is that I can't imagine like I'm sure that like all of those actors have that in them to do those scenes and show that that emotion but just to hold my attention for the full hour with like such a minimal supporting cast I felt like that was something quite special yeah no absolutely everyone else has proved to be extraneous it's amazing that this episode works at all 
is amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. The balls on these guys. I mean, come on. Yeah. It, and, how, and, how long it, and it doesn't feel like a long episode. Like it is one man for the most part in one setting with one foot, like nothing changes and it's never slow. It never feels dull. I'm not waiting for the next part. It Like it paced itself really well, I thought. Yeah, absolutely agreed. They, they keep that tension as a an almost constant crescendo throughout this yeah. this episode. Mm, yeah. There's one really cheeky, playful Capaldi moment in this as well, which is clearly written into the it's written into the script and it's it's there's uh, there's direction behind it. But when he close to the beginning, he looks at the camera and he goes, "I'm nothing without an audience." <laughs> yeah. Anywho, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. What were you going to say? Yeah, that's nice. I was going to say, it's going to be one of the great unanswered questions. Like, what would Jodie Whittaker's Doctor have been like had Stephen Moffat been able to write for her? It's like when you try to compare greats from different eras in Formula One, because these drivers, they do incredible things, but they're in these amazing cars, these vehicles, which allow them to win all these races and perform all these feats and it's like well how do we know who was actually better and we aren't gonna know and it's so sad yeah true perfect analogy well thank you formula one (laughs) (laughs) i was not yeah are you into formula one dude well i I used to be until it got particularly (laughs) samey it's like they're just going round and round in circles (laughs) yeah like an endless loop you know i hate that the perfect analogy (laughs) (laughs) okay so i'd like to bring up a question that i brought up last time marie you won't have heard this because you don't listen back to episodes that you're in or not in and this was leon will remember does moffat ever take the sadism that he meets out to his characters too far does he do that in this episode i was halfway through going to say no he doesn't because as I said, Capaldi is taking a not perverse pleasure in this, but he's up to the challenge. He's defiant. He's like, you're fucking with me. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to fuck you right back more than you ever possibly imagined. <laughs> but then towards the end, he is utterly broken. And he's saying, well, he's, he's spending a day and a half climbing, crawling. You see him covered in dried, congealed blood as if Michael Ridgway had written the script. And <laughs> he's doing that millions and millions of times over and you watch in horror as it broadens out from 7,000 years to 12,000 years to 600,000 years to millions to billions. Isn't it a bit fucking much? I don't think it's too much for the following reasons. Marie hit the nail on the head. The actual punishment for every consecutive iteration of the Doctor is actually just a few days long. So the whole 12,000 years, 12 million, whatever it is, blah, 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 4 billion years matters not at all. And it does because he gets back into that room and he remembers everything. He makes a point of saying, I remember everything. He doesn't remember four yeah. billion years of this. He he, he says re- everything, dude. How else am I going to interpret? No, he everything. remembers everything from the from the start of this loop, but he doesn't remember four billion years of this, surely. No, I disagree. I think I think it, when he wakes up as like a, a brand new doctor, he doesn't remember anything. And then there's a moment 
because yeah he makes a line about oh I, I remember everything and I was like oh well that makes no sense why didn't you just go straight to room 12 if you remember it all but no there's a moment when he remembers the bird and the p- camera like zooms in on him and does this lovely oh. like what's the word for it when the background goes back and you go forward oh is that lovely beautiful. oh I, I, I remember looking, what was it called there is a good bird is it, zoom, is it just a dolly zoom yeah like it, I mean oh it's such a beautiful effect oh, oh my god it's, oh, it's fantastic I'm getting vertigo just sitting down here thinking about it <laughs> But yeah, that's the realization of all of those hundreds and then thousands and then millions and then billions of iterations like collapsing in on him. He has to do, he knows how many times he's done it and he knows how painful it will be. And I think the physical aspect of it isn't too much, but it is that cu- like cumulative aspect when the scene you referenced Drew when he's in the TARDIS having this sort of breakdown and notes for that scene. And I found out I was just writing the entire script because it was all brilliant. And it was, yeah, like it's, I think that might be the lowest we've ever seen him it just felt like yeah and not only that but he even even if he only remembers back a few days as leon says which i would contest because what weight is there to the line if he says oh guess what i can remember the last three days what do you want dude a fucking medal he goes through that breakdown (laughs) billions of times okay i didn't realize that he suddenly remembers the whole four billion years that's terrifying if that scene had been acted out realistically, zero to a hundred, he would have turned into just a slobbering mess. <laughs> just like, uh, I can't believe what I just how uh, like he would just explode with trauma. Literally just liquefy. But aside from that, I don't care that it keeps repeating over and over again because each four days or whatever it is, that's just four days. They're horrible four days, but it's always the same horrible four days. Oh, wait, whatever, whatever. It, no, it's awesome. I think the reason that it's not too much is that at the end, he doesn't seem to express that it was too much. He comes out of it, like, not liquefied. <laughs> if he had showed up, yeah. like, when he steps through the thing, if he's suddenly the war doctor and he's just like, you know what? I'm just going to kick ass and take names and I'm absolutely crazy scarred right now. Look at my soul. It is a gnarly piece of shit. Then I would have gone, maybe you went a little bit too far off but instead he comes out the other side as capaldi and he's just like nah i'm scottish and it's like fine cool great yeah and i get that the doctor is the ultimate badass but i think moffat pushed it too far for that to be realistic i mean that moffat then has him come out and essentially have capaldi say yeah you know what my uh, screenwriter wrote the perfect script i'm not buying that argument I'm saying that he got it wrong twice in two different ways, and there the twain shall meet. But we can agree to disagree. <laughs> and Marie will give us the casting vote. <laughs> Have I said how much I want to come yeah. and visit Berlin? <laughs> Your flat looks lovely, by the way. The, the Emotional blackmail. Interior no, decoration is no. brilliant. Don't listen to him, Marie. Don't listen to him. <laughs> you like the stark white looks, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> It was a measured approach to penalism. I do do see your point too. And I actually, yeah, I I see both of your points. Uh, And I think the weight of all the memories falling back on him is not adequately represented in the Doctor that we see on Gallifrey. And I think it's one thing for him to kind of go, okay, I have to put those things to one side, continue with my mission and keep going through the loops and just pulling yourself together so that you can escape. But once you've made your escape, isn't that the point where you would just like collapse and the weight of it would just hit you 
and you would be a broken man. And we don't, he's not broken. He is Capaldi. He's like the doctor we saw four days ago. Yeah. Like, well, like maybe even before the Clara thing, because he doesn't seem, four days ago, he was distraught and heartbroken over Clara. And now he's just like, I'm the doctor. I'm going to come and fuck you up. And yeah, he doesn't climb out through this hole in the universe and just punch the kid in the face and go, yeah, screw screw you guys. I'm going for a holiday. I've had a really rough four billion years. I'm sorry, did I just talk over you, Maria? I apologize. No, it's fine. I don't think that that means that he wasn't pushed too far in the episode. I think that that means that what he went through in the episode wasn't adequately represented. So it's... I, I also I also don't think he was pushed too far. I just think that the two scenes don't work with each other. There's too much of a disparity there. And I would have preferred... I like the idea of like all of these memories flooding back. And I would have preferred to see that in the final scene rather than it be the other way around. I love that. I agree with you. And consequently, you agree with both of us. So, boom. <laughs> in your face, everyone in podcast land who had money on this. <laughs> Yeah, we still like each other. We're going to continue. <laughs> For those of you who had N128 in the sweepstakes, you just lost. <laughs> I think I have a question. Well, it was more of a, it's a, just a general pondering more than a question. But the idea that he prestigious himself at the end, that we're killing off one doctor in order that the other one can survive. And we got this fresh new doctor that can get that extra half a millimeter through the diamond and that's worth it and then and we keep repeating the cycle and he doesn't seem to have any qualms about that and it did just take me back to when we had amy in the two streams facility and there was the old amy that had been through hell and been through war and and then the brand and new amy that you could rescue from all by but you'd have to erase the older one like by rescuing the young one you erase the older one and that's effectively what he's doing here and it was such a big decision then and it, like i don't know whether he was torn about it necessarily or whether he saw that it was the right thing to do but yeah here it doesn't it doesn't even seem to be a question it's just this is what i need to do that's just blown uh, my mind is it because it's easier to make that sort of dis- like fatalistic decisions about oneself than about someone else i don't really remember the girl i mean i i, I remember the girl who waited but i don't really remember the the conflict element like the moral conflict element of it that well i think it more came from amy that like the older version of amy she was like don't if you save her like the younger me you are effectively killing me and he's like no you're the same person I, by saving her i'm saving you but you've erased her experience even though it was a horrible experience like the doctor has lived through four billion years but doesn't remember only remembers four days of it like is that a blessing because they were traumatic years and it was essentially in a torture you know wait i thought you said that he does remember all four billion years well yeah i don't know it's yeah (laughs) oh see the truth comes to light (laughs) 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 it turns out it's not so clear cut is it Uh, drew what do you say Uh, (laughs) everything (laughs) okay fine (laughs) <laughs> so, he, so, he, so he has the memories, but he's, he hasn't physically aged. I don't know. So yeah. is that the, the best of both? I don't know. Or, or, or having the worst of both? <laughs> you had a 3D it's, it's printer. You could have made yourself young skulls. and virile. Sorry, Drew. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, I was just saying it's having your sea full of skulls and eating your memories too. <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder 
wonder how I'm now picturing myself as the doctor on Gallifrey. How ta- how do you experience time in that concept? Like five minutes ago, you thought you'd been in there for four days, and then all your memories flooded back, and now you know you've been in there for four billion years. What, does it feel like Clara died four days ago or four billion years ago? Oh, like, and, how and, do your how does your memory cope with that? And isn't your memory also just? incredibly repetitive yeah like yeah it's four billion worth the memories but it's the same four days yeah yeah exactly that seems like it would drive you insane in more ways than one like it would drive you insane more so about having the same memories over and over again four billion years worth than it would knowing that you have been tormented for four billion years yeah you're describing lockdown four or five (laughs) (laughs) oh no this is the perfect Perfect episode to be reviewing right now. <laughs> yeah, it really is. They might as well have called it lockdown. <laughs> Clockdown. Clockdown. Oh, genius! Absolute genius. <laughs> okay, I've got another bit of writing that I'd like to bring up, Murray. I know you've written down the entire transcript, and Leon, you've got it on your screen. But when he's talking about the two moments in life nobody remembers and why we stare into the eye sockets of a skull, I mean, <laughs> fantastic, base. There's another line that I believe you may have quoted before we even got to this episode at some point. Hell is just heaven for bad people. I feel like that's mm. been quoted on on the podcast before. Really? If so, not by me. It doesn't seem theologically sound. <laughs> no, but it is. I think it was quoted in the context of this is a Moffatism. Like that, that your, uh-huh, your absolute right, yeah. quintessential Moffatism is X is opposite of X for Y. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So one last topic before we go into ratings. Clara stops being just a back at one point. She turns around. She starts to speak. Yeah. The perfect capper. Too much schmaltz. What do we think? Resident Clara experts. <laughs> Um, I really liked it. I think it was just enough because for a while I was really worried that they hadn't got the actress back in and he's talking to her and then her hand just comes out and touches his face. And I was like, oh, that's all we're going to (laughs) get. Like, it's just this fake Clara intern in the Clara wig. But yeah, no, I liked that it did pan to her and they were obviously, I think, in the same room. And she looked really like, like massively like doll eyed and doe faced and, and a bit kind of mysterious and whatever the word is. And she's that you know that she's not real. She is just a figment of his imagination. And, and he's kind of turned her into this wise old sage that can mirror. Oh, like the vision of grace at the end of Revolution of the Daleks. Yeah, just the same. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you, Drew? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> but like the whole time everything that he, everything that she was giving him or saying to him was just him mirroring himself back is that like he says one time like what would you do and she goes oh the same as you and it's yeah so it's mm-hmm. it's not her it's this like vision of like his perfect memory of her so yeah i quite liked it it felt it felt a little eerie which i liked I think that's another reason to corroborate the theory of he wants to undergo this catharsis. Because doesn't he say something like, that's the reason you died after all? As in, she died because she was trying to imitate him, because he had, that that was the example that he had led with. Make this kind of decision, and then that kind of decision cost her her life. 
So now he's like, he's punishing himself. I, I feel like this is, yeah, I, I, all of this is leading up to him being an even a better person for wanting to chastise himself for the life of his companion having been lost, you know? Oh, whatever. whatever. Uh, I, I, either way, I think the Clara moment was super duper powerful and both Moffat and the director, Rachel, I've just looked up a name, Rachel Talalay, they knew exactly what they were doing. They knew exactly that everyone in the audience was going to assume when we're not going to see Clara. That's just an intern. <laughs> That's just yeah. someone else's hand, you know, and then just a mannequin. Yeah. Just a mannequin. <laughs> boom. In your face. It is actual Clara. Holy moly. Uh, they even did that from the opening sequence because it just says Peter Capaldi and it keeps his name up there. There's no Jenna Coleman. Oh, is she not in this one? <laughs> Actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very clever. <laughs> By the way, so she directed this this episode and it's in a very horror-y kind of feel. Like we said, like it's super creepy at times and it's really scary. And Marie, you call out the cool orange lights as he's digging a grave and like, or I mean, what seems like he's digging a grave. It's really scary at times. Rachel Talalay has directed such films as Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare in 1991. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, also, cool. Ghost in the Machine and Tank Girl. <laughs> Oh, cool. She's a sure-handed veteran. Yeah. That makes sense. And she's actually re- directed a few episodes. I'm reading this off TARDIS Wikia. Alongside Stephen Moffat, she directed Dark Water, Death in Heaven, Heaven Sent, Hell Bent, World Enough and Time, Doctor Falls, and Twice Upon a Time. Oh, wow. So she's his go-to for feature, you know, statement tentpole episodes, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. <laughs> tentpole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brother, brother, brother. So, we ready to rate this thing? Let's. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. What a bloody tour de force. Companion Capaldi has. He has full range to act unencumbered by dilettantes or interpersonal chemistry. He is going full <laughs> Capaldi in this one. Well over two billion years of Capaldi. That's what I'm talking about. Just reimagine this with three companions flitting about the place and calling each other fam in place of this masterpiece. And that is exactly what this is. This is a magnum opus. An opus so magnum it has a mustache and drives a red Ferrari. This is like a really, really, I mean, a really good episode of Fort Boyard meets uh, a Cube. You know that movie Cube? Do you remember Cube? Did you watch Cube? Watch Cube. It's a great movie. Uh, And just when you thought it couldn't get any better, it turns out you were watching Groundhog Day the whole time and Doc has to prestige himself just to rewind the tape. Minus points. This is a very quick one. Minus points only because who punches a perfect corridor and because the, uh, sorry, only. Two things. (laughs) Corridor, yada, yada, yada. And because the hybrid thing it seems a little bollocks to me, but that is, that's in turn only because it hasn't been, like, the legendary aspect of it is completely new. At least to me, I don't remember that from previous episodes. Like, I don't feel like it's ever been mentioned before. So it could have been amazing had it been set up properly in advance. It wasn't, and therefore it feels like one of these shoehorned bits of lore that, quite frankly, are the kinds of things that I dislike about Doctor Who today. But I don't, I don't care. The rest of this episode is incredible. It's absolutely fantastic. Oh, and by the way, extra nerd boner because I did not expect to actually see Clara in this episode. So <laughs> I'm giving this a 4.9. <gasps> 
Holy moly! Yeah, it is damn near perfect. This episode needs very little changing in my mind. I love this episode. You know what? I don't have time to finish this recording with you guys. I need to go and rewatch it right now. Bye. I'm kidding. I'm still here. <laughs> Marie, do you want to go next, or do you want to follow that? Uh, can anyone follow that? If can, anyone can follow can. that, you can. Yes, yes. <laughs> Marie, 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 Marie. <laughs> okay, I will start by saying we've be, we've kind of picked holes in this episode for uh, the last hour and a half, and I promised myself I wasn't going to do that. I promised myself I would come on here. Start at five because I think it's fucking brilliant and see whether Drew could persuade me otherwise. And actually, I found myself contributing and finding little flaws and finding little problems that I didn't really want to admit were there. But I fucking love this episode. It's so <laughs> gorgeous. It's like, it is like the production values are through the roof. It is absolutely stunning to look at, beautiful to listen to. The dialogue is all there. The acting is out of this world. Like Capaldi holds my attention every single moment he's on screen. Clara was a super, super awesome added bonus. Well, I wasn't expecting. The TARDIS is gorgeous. The castle is gorgeous. It's so creepy. The tension, I felt the tension in my body after an hour. I sort of sat on the edge of my chair. Like, oh, I can relax now. Okay. Like I'm like clenching my fist. I think like it's a really odd episode of Doctor Who. If this is what I remember saying about Blink was the very first episode that I reviewed and kind of going, oh, it's amazing. I love it. But it's not really a Doctor Who episode. If you were going to suggest someone who's never seen the show before, that is not where you would start because it doesn't really introduce you to the rest of it. And I think this is very, this is absolutely the same because if you watched this episode and then expected the quality to remain that high, you would be severely disappointed. So I think it's lovely as a sort of standalone piece. And it's definitely one that I remembered and looked forward to reviewing. And I really thought it wouldn't hold up as well as I'd remembered it. And it does, because it's bloody brilliant. And I love it. And I am also going to deduct a point for the perfect corridor uh, of diamond. <laughs> Because why? Just why? <laughs> and everything else we've said, I feel like there's a hand wave to be done here or there. It's a whole universe in itself. Everything's telepathic and brilliant. And so who cares? Knock off a point for the uh, point one for the diamond and give it a 4.9. Yes. Here's my friend um, who agrees with me. That's how you follow a 4.9. Socially distanced transcontinental. <laughs> high five, Marie. <laughs> Intercontinental high five, even. <laughs> I'm not giving it a 4.9, but I'm still giving it a very high mark. This is the best episode of Russian Doc in ages. It's a standout in every sense. It remains singular, although once we've seen the five doctors, I wonder how similar that will prove to be with Rassilon's death zone and doctors encountering skulls and so forth. I've heard that there are similarities, but in New Who, at least, this episode leaves an indelible mark. It turns out that in over five years, I'd forgotten none of the setup. I remembered so much. I forget entire arcs. 
But this one lives with me. What I had forgotten was some of the amazing writing, the reams of maxims and aphorisms Moffat floods this episode with. He must have been scouring through all the notebooks he'd ever jotted in in his life, all the random text files on the computer, the recordings on his digital dictaphone, the old tapes from his analogue one in his student days, gathering together a mountain (laughs) of witticisms to give the Doctor the ultimate soliloquy on his solitary stage. And to speak of the Doctor, Capaldi proved, if proof were still needed, which it isn't and never was, once and for four billion years, he is one of the best actors ever to play the Doctor. And to see him be given full reign to be actorly, it's alchemy, mixing the showrunner's iron with the actor's quicksilver, making purest green, I mean gold. We can laugh and pick holes, but despite every little piece of sand in Moffat's supposedly genius clockwork, nonetheless, this is event telly that explodes in your face like Nitro 9. 4.6. Fantastic. <gasps> oh. <laughs> I was sure you were going to do a 7, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. Couldn't quite. It's not a bad average, though. This episode's doing pretty well so far. <laughs> Oh, yes, but there's still more to come, right? Oh, there is indeed. Let's hear what Podcast Land has to say. Let's. Listener minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Okay, so this week we have four listener minis. Whoop, 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 whoop. Thank you so much, Podcast Land. The first listener mini is from Awesome Alfie. What up, Alfie? Awesome Alfie starts, Heaven Sent was just okay. In other words... A wee bit boring. Wow. <laughs> Which I guess means I'm a traitor to the Who fandom as everyone seems to give it a higher rating. Apparently so. Awesome Alfie. <laughs> Judging by the last hour and a half. <laughs> I did like the skull that featured in it, which made a return in season 12 in The Haunting of Villa Diodati. Oh, really? Hmm. <laughs> okay. Oh. And overall, he gives it a 2.9 from the rotten corpse of Awesome Alfie. 2.9? Holy moly. <laughs> <laughs> Also, no rotten corpse, awesome Alfie. You just got incinerated. You're just a skull. A <laughs> uh, piece of trivia about the skull, genuinely modelled after Capaldi's head. Oh, wow. That doesn't surprise me. I found myself mentally putting eyebrows on it. <laughs> <laughs> Fade over one point. Where Loved it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. When it's and on it the ledge. Gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. So many things. We know. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. Awesome, Alfie. Thank you so much for your awesome mini. Agree to disagree. <laughs> I will look out for the skull, though, in uh, The Haunting Ability of Arty. Yeah, definitely. That's a solid Good bit trivia. of trivia. Yeah. So, so that's Capaldi's skull, sort of, that turns up again then. Yeah, I it guess. might be weird to know ish what your skull looks like. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Who's next? Thanks for asking me. Next up, we have <laughs> Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. Love you, Michael. So big. Oh, my goodness. So big, it must be heaven sent. <laughs> Michael starts with some likes. First like, the nightmarish dreamscape oozing dread and impending doom reminiscent of It Follows. Yes, agreed. Such a good film, by the way. And Michael also likes the doc's scheme to lure the veil to one extreme of the castle and then bomb it to the other to buy time to do stuff. I do the same with my newly walking Kalingi son. I dump <laughs> him at one end of the house then leg it to the other to eat my dinner. It buys me about 12 seconds. He's surprisingly speedy. Even when I barricaded his path and set traps. <laughs> set traps? 
Classic Michael. Michael Ridgway's such a dude. Oh, such a dude. And don't get in between him and his dinner. <laughs> Michael's next like is the terrifying, fly-ridden, ghost of Christmas yet to come villain. And satisfying Groundhog Day loop. And lastly, Michael likes this deadly Saturn and Waters of Mars. The only non-Christmas 2 episodes without a guest companion are so, so good. You wonder why there aren't more solo adventures. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a super good point. <laughs> mm. yeah. But it's not all heavenly in Michael land because he has some boobs. Michael's first beef is, was the hybrid stuff a red herring? The nothing is half Dalek, the Daleks would never allow that, is balls. The Daleks have compromised on their purity a bunch of times, in classic and new who. Over billions of years, surely the skulls would have broken the surface of the water. There's my friend who agrees with me! <laughs> yeah, solid point. <laughs> and the science of breaking through something stronger than diamond with your fist seems total bollocks. Surely you would need asbantium to break asbantium. At least if you've used the shovel or even got a few more punches instead of monologuing, perhaps he could have shaved off several mi million years. In fact, he could have given Mr. Cloak the runaround and bought a whole 82 minutes to bash away at it. Or at least write something more useful than bird. How about Groundhog Day, room 12, hit with shovel? Yes! <laughs> Michael, you've neatly summarised the first three quarters of an hour of our podcast. <laughs> Well done, Slash. Thanks very much. And then there's always more confessions. Surely the Doc has loads of teenage pranks to fess up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. His years in the academy. My goodness. <laughs> and Michael summarizes. After the catastrophic offering of the previous episode, Heaven Sent, minor nitpicks aside, is a phoenix arising from a puddle of poo. More newborn sun imagery, Michael? <laughs> Bravo! <laughs> and Michael gives this a very well-calculated rating of 4.9 out of 5 underwear changes required during this darn scary episode. Code Brown! <laughs> <laughs> Excellent rating, Michael. <laughs> yeah. Bravissimo. Mm -hmm. What if one hungers for more of Michael? Well, he's already married, but you can do the next best thing. You can follow him on Twitter. Yay! He can be found at bad underscore movie underscore club. That's right. Thank you, Michael. So big. Thank you, Michael. And next up, we have Kieran Evans. What up, Kieran? Welcome to the New Who channel. Kieran hey, Evans Kieran. from the heavens. <laughs> <laughs> And Kieran begins, so what to say about this episode? One of Moffat's finest. It is a low-key character piece on the Doctor and his grief at losing a companion. The somber atmosphere is perfect and the labyrinth nature of the castle provides the excellent setting for the puzzle that the Doctor has to solve. The idea that the Doctor has been sacrificing himself for billions of years to chip away a diamond wall with his bare hands just so he didn't have to answer the ghoulish veil sums up the Doctor's will to never give up, even if it is a slightly foolish thing for him to do. Why didn't he use the spade? Might have saved his fist a bit. Yes. <laughs> One thought, continues Kieran, is uh, what is presented here actually real? 
Is there anything to say that this is not all a simulation by Redacted to get the doctor to confess? Given some ideas in series 10, I can't help but feel that this reading has some merit, though it equally works as it being all true as well. And so I score. Well, I could critique it here and there, but you know what? I'm not. It gets five out of five. Why didn't you use the effing space? <laughs> <laughs> Next time, however. <laughs> <laughs> dot, 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 dot. <laughs> wow. Holy moly, it. that's a rating. <laughs> Normally, when someone gives it five out of five, I have to say, what a big heart. But it was yeah. only one above me, and you like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. This is more a case of, like, what a realistic heart. <laughs> An accurate heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent stuff, Kieran. Heart you have. <laughs> Thank you very much for sending that in. So we're down to our last list of mini. Oh, and who's it from? It's from Eddie Rock. Oh, what up, Eddie? Hello. Hello, Eddie. Hello. Eddie begins. Hey, who back when? Let's fuck this new year off right with heaven sent. One off, if not the episode most people think of when talking about the 12th Doctor. <laughs> and for good reason. Yes, the whole confession dial thing confuses the bejesus out of me. But there is so much great in this episode if you don't look at it from too far away. Capaldi did this episode pretty much on his own. To have one character on screen alone for nearly an hour and be riveting the whole time is pretty damn impressive. His performance was spectacular and all over the place. From scary to witty to broken, he absolutely crushes it on all fronts. His mental trips into the TARDIS were always a welcome relief, as they usually let us catch our breath from the heaviness of the episode. The villain was fairly generic but visually cool, as were the underwater skulls. They did a great job on the small level repeated lives bit with everything fitting together well and an epic conclusion. That being said, on a larger scale, it didn't work great. I'm very tired of hearing about the hybrid stuff and the confession dial purpose or logic just misses the mark for me. And Eddie concludes... Overall, I really do love this episode, and it ranks amongst the best of Capaldi's whole run. Despite its flaws, I give it a 4.6 out of 5 <laughs> random wandering desert Gallifreyan kids. Till next time, rock on! <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Solid raising. And yeah, good point. Doesn't that kid have a guardian? <laughs> like, why is it wandering around the desert? There are cannibals living out there. Dude, he's wildly endeavouring. You can't cramp a Time Lord kid style. Is he maybe a, a tiny cannibal kid? Like a cannibal baby? <laughs> maybe. He might be. <laughs> awesome stuff, Eddie Rock. Awesome stuff. Why, Man, I, I wish I could get more Eddie Rock in my life. Well, it's funny you should say that, Drew, because I believe... <laughs> is it? I believe Marie knows how you can achieve just that. If I wanted more Eddie Rock in my life, I would follow him on Twitter at the Eddie Rock. Oh, and that's it from Podcast Land. Thanks all for you. Yes, thank you very much. Next up. What's up next in the classic channel? 
Good question, Drew. It is the very last fourth Doctor serial, not counting the multi-Doctor adventures that, that are coming up. But, but yeah, we're reviewing Logopolis next. We're seeing Logopolis. If Peter Davison appears at the end of the episode. Exciting. Yep. Holy moly. I know. Like uh, <laughs> the literal end of an era. Aww. Yeah. This is like when the asteroid hit and the dinosaurs were wiped out. Where are our classic fans going to go? <laughs> <laughs> Into Peter Davison country. <laughs> exactly. It's going to be great, Podcast Land. Stick with us. Marie, what's next in the new channel? Next up, on New Who, we have Hellbent. Looking forward to it. It's going to be crazy bombastic. How on earth can yeah. it live up to this one? Next in the audio channel, we still want you to tell us what's it going to be. We're open to all sorts of ideas. Send them in. Yeah. And thank you, everyone, who's already uh, given us a few suggestions. Good stuff. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's wetting our appetite. No end. And Leon, what's the next bonus going to be? After Logopolis, we're going to be doing a fourth Doctor retrospective. So that is next up in the bonus channel. And we'll have yeah, like a, a standard set of like questions and bullet points that we want to go through with that. So uh, keep your ear to the ground. Uh, we'll announce whatever we want to talk about on Twitter and, and Facebook. Fantastic. Well, that's a full platter heading our way. Mm -mm. Until then, if Podcast Line want to hear more from us, like from their esteemed selves, where can they find us online? Ooh. Uh, I can be found on uh, Instagram at Hamash and Jelly. No, those are my, mm, those three are my favorite, favorite things. things. <laughs> <laughs> Leon, can you also be found online? Uh, I can indeed. You can find me on Twitter. High five me online. I will high five you right back. I can still be found at Ponkin. P-O-N-K-N. Wow, what an ambiguous clue. Worthy of a weird castle maze. <laughs> <laughs> What about you, Drew? I can be found at Drew back when. Good I'm branding. I'm the equivalent of a blunt shovel to the head, or the <laughs> Asbantium. <laughs> Rad. Well, that's it. So thank you so much for listening, Podcast Land. Stay safe. Survive 2021. We're not there yet. Keep going, Podcast Land. We love you all. Bye-bye from me. Yes, please keep wearing masks. Be rad and excellent to each other. And cha-chao. Toodles. <laughs> Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?